Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us on Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. I'm Joe Landry, here with my co-host, Lori Olford, and today we begin our second season of the program, and as such, we're going to try some new things. So for today's show, we have two guests here to join us in our topical discussions. In this episode, which is the first of two parts, we're going to explore cosmology of Mormonism. Uh, we'll find that many of the religious themes and symbols are impregnated with various kinds of alien imagery, and we'll compare them to what we've learned from other accounts of close encounters. Hi there, Lori. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Pretty good. So uh, some of you may be asking how we came to include Mormonism into our discussion, but the answer is quite, quite simple, really. Now, we are curious about it and how it came to be. If, if you've been listening to our podcast up to this point, then you know how we analyze scriptures in ancient texts. So we do our best to show our listeners that there may be an extraterrestrial uh, relationship to humanity from way back in the distant past. And by examining the historical details of mythology, we sort of illustrate our religious or our religions derived from that to become what they are today. So since we have been working along those lines that the Judeo-Christian God, as well as the so-called pagan gods, developed from people's misunderstandings of extraterrestrials and their advanced technology, we thought we should give a closer look at Mormonism to see if there is a similar paradigm. Now, Joseph Smith was visited by something. What was it? Was it the God of the Bible? Was it an angel? Was it his imagination? Or was it an extraterrestrial? But perhaps there is possible truths in, in all of those answers. And so, Laurie, our two guests who are here with us today bring some unique expertise to the table. Uh, they both have extensive backgrounds, not only in their personal experiences with the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but like you and me, have spent years in education founded on apologetics, evangelism, and faith-based scripture studies. Um, with that, I will give you the honor of introducing them. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yes, uh, we are joined today by uh, Ryan and Mike, two former members of the Church of Latter-day Saints, or also known as the LDS, who are quite knowledgeable about Mormonism as a faith and as a way of life. So on today's show, we're going to discuss how it, Mormonism as a religion may also have extraterrestrial ties. So welcome, guys. Um, we're glad you are both able to join us today. Thanks, Lori. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys again. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, we're happy to have you guys. Now, Joe, uh, Ryan and I, uh, but Joe and I know Ryan professionally because he is a retired police officer. Uh, we have both worked with him in the past on different cases when he was still with our agency. And hopefully, Ryan, you are still enjoying that retirement, huh? Absolutely. I definitely am enjoying retirement. <laughs> but you're, you're actually still working full time, right? That's correct. I, I was hired out with a, as a security director for one of the school districts here in Arizona. I started working with them right after I retired from law enforcement. Well, that's good. Um, even after retirement, I imagine you still want to get out and be able to do something with your time. You know, uh, before COVID, uh, I was always envious of people who work from their homes. I, I thought that would just be the coolest thing. Uh, but I have to say that I'm glad to be able to get out. I'm glad that I'm not stuck in the house and that my job uh, gets me outside. Um, I think after all those pandemic months of stay home and go nowhere, the whole idea of working at home has really lost its luster for me. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I agree with that. I would, wouldn't like being stuck in the house either. Yeah, so Ryan and I have known each other for what, uh, since 2005, Ryan? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, and when we first met, uh, we both were trying to convert uh, the other one to our religion. <laughs> um, I, w- I was determined to win, win him over to Pentecostalism while he tried his best to convert me to Mormonism. So our careers then put us into different places. Uh, we went to different units. And then uh, a few years later, we were reassigned and uh, to the patrol district uh, to work together again. And at that point, I had now become an ancient alien theorist and he became an agnostic. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, we have had some awesome discussions about Mormonism and Christianity um, over, uh, over fire drinking uh, whiskey and, and smoking a few cigars. But, uh, but go ahead and, and tell us about yourself, Ryan. Well, thank you, Larry. Uh, those conversations have some great memories. I, and like you mm-hmm. said, I, I grew up in the more in the Mormon faith I was a Mormon missionary for two years. I proselyted in New York City, actually. Um, I was the uh, the rank of an elder in the Melchizedek priesthood and performed all the temple ceremonies. I was married to my wife in the Mormon temple, and I raised my family in the church. And I was completely committed to both the teachings of the religion and the culture of being a Mormon for over 40 years. I started to transition out of the church about seven years ago, um, mainly by just gaining new knowledge about the, the true history of events that was related to Mormonism. Yeah, that's remarkable. So, Mike, uh, you also have spent most of your life as a devout, uh, faithful Mormon, and you were an elder and a missionary with the LDS for over 40 years as well. Um, how has your religious upbringing brought you to this point in your life's journey? And uh, as you answer that, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Yeah, you bet. Um, I spent 40 years as a pretty devout, devout Mormon. Uh, served a two-year mission uh, to Brazil where I learned Portuguese. Uh, I got married to my awesome wife in the Mormon temple, and we've raised our five kids as LDS until about 2019 when we left the church. Uh, by the way, I'm also in public safety. I'm not a police officer, though. I am a hose dragger. <laughs> I've been a firefighter and a paramedic for about 16 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, we work side by side with the uh, firefighters and paramedics all the time. Uh, I think you guys are great. Uh, Portuguese. <laughs> wow, I, I think that's a pretty tough language to learn. Uh, I've studied Spanish, French, and German, but to me, Portuguese vocabulary looks pretty difficult. So that's, that's very impressive. Anyway, at least I digress. Uh, tell me, Mike, the terms Mormon and Latter-day Saint of Jesus, Jesus Christ, are they synonymous? I guess that depends on who you ask. For most of my life, they were for the most part synonymous. Uh, the church even did a I'm a Mormon PR campaign in 2010. However, about two years ago, the current president of the, of the church said that the term Mormon shouldn't be used anymore when referring to the church and has actually encouraged its members to call themselves members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, for the majority of their existence, though, movements that have come from Joseph Smith's theophany or theology have generally been referred to as Mormon and or LDS, and for all practical purposes for our discussion, they can be pretty interchangeable. Now, I've read about Joseph Smith and his life at the time he had this epiphany or this theophany, uh, which started the Mormon religion, and it all takes place within the spiritual backdrop of the United States in the 19th century. There was a tremendous rise in transcendentalism back then as people were becoming freer to pursue and teach doctrines of faith that 
would not have been permitted in Europe. Um, this was the time of the Great Awakenings, and I think the Latter-day Saint founders were around a time of the second one, the second Great Awakening. Um, spiritual revivals of other sorts were happening in American churches at this time, uh, and there were well-known evangelists like Charles Finney, John Darby, and Dwight Moody, dozens of others, and, and they all preached a lot to their congregations about divine wrath and judgment, the end times, dispensationalism, repentance. So. Ryan and Mike, uh, do you think the Latter-day Saint movement began as just another one of these revivals that were happening back then? Or was there something unique that made so many people flock to it? Well, Joe, Mormonism is a uniquely American religion. And Joe, you are correct. The Mormonism was founded during the Great Awakening. The whole upper state of New York was considered a burnt-over district with so many religions being started there. Um, I believe what made Mormonism thrive and survive while other churches failed was because of Joseph Smith being a very charismatic speaker, a, a convincing storyteller, and the author of the Book of Mormon. You know, Joseph Smith started it all when he started to question which church to join because there were so many of them. And the story goes that Joseph Smith decided to go to the woods and pray and ask God which church he should join. And that's when he had his, uh, his vision. Um, uh, let me read what Joseph Smith wrote and what he recorded um, in the uh, he says I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God and I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon some power which entirely came over me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue that I could not speak and thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy, which had seized upon me, and that at that very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, and not to an imaginary ruin, but to, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. And Joseph Smith continued by saying, and no sooner appeared that I found myself delivered from the enemy, which held me bound. And when the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defied all description, standing above me in the air. And one of them spoke unto me, calling me by name and pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him. Well, no sooner than I, I get possession of myself as to be able to speak, than I asked the two personages who stood above me which of all the sects was right and which I should join. And then Joseph Smith continues, by saying, I was answered that I might not join none of them, and that for they were all wrong. And the persons who answered me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, and that the professors were all corrupt, and that they draw near to me with their lips, but, but their hearts are far from me. And they teach for doctrines of commandments of men, and having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And then the person again forbade me to join any of them. And many of the things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. 
And when I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back, looking upon, looking up into heaven. And when the light had departed, I had no strength, but sooner recovering in some degree, I went home. And that completes his, uh, his first vision. You know, Joe, uh, I think another thing that made Mormonism unique is that Joseph Smith produced additional scriptures. He claimed to have translated ancient scriptures from golden plates or tablets to produce the Book of Mormon. Smith and the Book of Mormon itself say that the book was written in a language called Reformed Egyptian and that he alone was able to translate the book with help from God. The Book of Mormon answered so many theological questions people had in the early 19th century. And like Ryan mentioned, Mormonism is a uniquely American religion. The Book of Mormon purports to tell the story of the early inhabitants of the Americas. It says that a group of Israelites left Jerusalem and traveled with God's help to the Americas, where they set up civilizations that warred with each other. The Book of Mormon culminates with a visit by the resurrected Jesus Christ to the people of the Americas. Not only do uh, not only does some of the LDS scripture focus on the Americas, but the early practitioners of Mormonism believe that they were establishing a utopia as the kingdom of God in America. So there seems to be a lot of mysticism to all of this. Um, in, in the book called The Pearl of Great Price, there's a section called Joseph Smith hyphen history. Um, and in it, uh, Smith says that he sees a, a light in his room while he's praying. Uh, it then became brighter and brighter, and, and then it, a being appeared before him, floating right, right above his bed, or right by his bed. Uh, this was supposed to be Moroni, who told him uh, that the 12 gold plates are buried somewhere on Hill Camora, which is, uh, I guess, near Manchester in, in upstate New York, where, where this happened. This is the place where Mormonism, Mormonism begins in upstate New York. Um, so Smith goes out and digs around in several spots and then is said to have found the gold plates. Uh, they were in a wooden box, and inside it, in addition to the plates, were also the umum and thumum, um, which were seer stones. And I guess similar to those used by Samuel when he anointed David as God's chosen king uh, in, in the Old Testament. Um, it's with these that Smith, along with help from Martin Harris, uh, that the strange language that you said, the Reformed Egyptian, uh, the inscriptions on the plates were translated into English, and that uh, became the Book of Mormon. Now, the Pearl of Great Price was canonized in the 1880s by the Church of Latter-day Saints, well after the one called Doctrines and Covenants uh, was published by both Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Uh, what do these two works mean to Mormons, and how do they pertain to their faith? Well, Joe, uh, I'll take the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, the Pearl of Great Price, along with Joseph Smith's dictated history, contains two other important books. It contains the Book of Abraham and the Book of Moses. Smith said he received the Book of Moses directly from God as a vision, and that both the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham, uh, they actually contain creation accounts similar to the Book of Genesis. Smith claims to have translated the book of uh, Abraham from Egyptian hieroglyphs on papyri that were found buried with a mummy that came through Kirtland, Ohio, uh, which is where the saints had gathered after leaving New York. The mummies and the papyri that were with them were purchased by Smith and the church, and he started a translation process. Smith claims that the papyri were written by Abraham's own hand and that the book of Abraham has some uh, very unique Mormon teachings. In chapter three, it talks about heavenly bodies like stars and planets and explains how time functions differently on each. Uh, interesting, interestingly enough, Smith 
translating these scrolls and hieroglyphs happens after the Rosetta Stone had been found, but before uh, the work had been done to actually translate Egyptian hieroglyphs. Well, the Doctrine and Covenants is the second book that you were you asked about, Joe. Um, Doctrine and Covenants is a collection of revelations given to Joseph Smith. It contains several accounts of visions and visitations from angels and conversations that Joseph Smith had with Jesus Christ. I, a great deal of doctrine and policies are in the Doctrine and Covenants, including like the law of health that you know Mormons don't use tobacco, alcohol, or or hot drinks, or the law of tithing is in there. Uh, Celestial marriage, also known as polygamy, and, and much more. It was originally supposed to be a living book that all modern Mormon prophets would add to over time, but it stopped with Joseph Smith. It currently has about 138 chapters in that book. So the visitations uh, seem to be extremely important to the foundation of Mormonism. So, in fact, they sound eerily similar to what is often said about uh, contacts and abductions of alien greys and how the person is sort of frozen in place. Um, Joseph Smith is in his bed, and there are many stories of abductions happening inside of bedrooms. So it makes you wonder if the person is merely dreaming, uh, but they insist that they are, they are not, um, that, that they are awake. And, and this seems to be the same as Sid for Smith. So this being of light that he saw is, is supposed to have appeared before him a total of three times, correct? And if it is Moroni, is he appearing as a spirit or as a human body? Uh, Laurie, so after Joseph Smith's theophany in 1820, uh, he was visited in 1823 by Moroni, and he was visited three times in one night. Uh, he received another visitation the next day. Uh, and then claimed to receive a visitation by Moroni every year on the anniversary of that first uh, visit until 1827, when he was finally allowed by Moroni to remove the golden plates from their resting place, began to work on their translation. Um, three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, Martin Harris, and David Whitmer, uh, who in their written testimony say, uh, we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven and he brought and laid before our eyes and we beheld the, and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. While there were another eight witnesses of the golden plates, those witnesses didn't claim angelic visitation. Uh, most of those witnesses were the sons or sons-in-law of uh, Mary Whitmer, who did actually claim an angelic visit, but according to her grandson, always referred to that visitor as brother Nephi. Uh, in fact, Joseph Smith himself claimed to have been visited by a number of different angelic beings over the course of his life. And most of the angels that he had contact with, he described as resurrected beings. So, yes, with a body, uh, although he does describe some angelic visitors as only having spirit. Yeah, you know, the, the Joseph Smith history that you talked about in the, the Pearl of Great Price does describe Moroni's visit. And Joseph Smith wrote that while and these are Joseph Smith's words. While I was thus in the act of calling upon God, I discovered a light appearing in my room, which continued to increase until the room was brighter than a noonday, when immediately a personage appeared by my bedside, standing in the air, for his feet did not touch the floor. And he had a loose robe on with most exquisite whiteness, and it was a whiteness beyond anything earthly I'd ever seen. Nor do I believe that any earthly thing could be made to appear so exceedingly white and brilliant. And his hands, which would be Moroni, 
were naked and his arms also, and a little above the wrists. So also were his feet naked and were his legs a little above his ankles. And his head and neck were also bare. I could, I could discover that he had no other clothing on but his robe, and it was open so that I could see into his bosom. And Joseph Smith continued by saying, not only was his robe exceedingly white, but his whole person was glorious beyond description. And his countenance was truly lightning. The room was exceedingly light, but not so very bright as immediately around his person. When I first looked upon him, I was afraid, but the fear soon left me. And the, and the person called me by name and said unto to me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me. And so this um this message uh, it, it's an it's an identical message given, uh, and this makes me think of like a recorded message. Uh, I know that's not how it's told, not how it's taught, but we often find repetition in these religious visions. Sometimes strange things happen to the person afterwards, like they can't speak or or are forbidden to speak. Much like how in the Gospel of Luke, uh, after being visited by the angel Gabriel, Zachariah was not able to speak until the birth of John the Baptist. So why was the message given to Smith three times? And was there something uh, that made was said to Moroni or something uh, Moroni said to Joseph Smith that made him not speak for a while? Uh, you know, that's funny. I don't know that I've ever thought of it like a pre-recorded message before. Uh, but from Smith's own account, um, he received that message four times. No. Okay. Well, it seems like we're losing uh, a connection problem there. Um, so anyway, uh, Ryan, when we were talking there about Joseph Smith's words. Um, Doubton was woken up by the messenger who told him everything that. again. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, we, we got cut off there. Could you, you uh, you'd be starting off there where you said that you did not um, ever think of it as a pre-recorded message? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, that is that did make me laugh a little bit because I had never thought of it like that. Um, but yeah, from Smith's own account, he actually got the message four times. Um, the messenger visited him three times uh, during the night. And then after the third time, the next morning, he was working in the field with his dad uh, passed out because he was so exhausted and his dad sent him home. And he says that as he was heading home, he passed out again and was woken up by the messenger who told him everything a fourth time. Uh, the question, why did he need the message four times? You know, I'm not sure, uh, but I bet you, you might get a better answer. If you ask my wife, how many times I need to hear something before it sinks in. That's a wife thing. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from Smith's own account though, uh, like reading his own account, I don't think I ever, it never really came across to me as anything like Zechariah. I think it always just seemed that he was super tired and uh, everything from a, an entire night of visitations. Uh, going over this material again, uh, especially in the context of your podcast, though, really made me think about uh, this line from his story. Uh, one of the lines he says is, when almost immediately after the heavenly messenger had ascended from me for the third time, the cock crowed, and I found that day was approaching, so that our interviews must have occupied the whole of that night. And now, you know, from the context of this podcast, it almost sounds like uh, missing time kind of a thing. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, it is. So if, if Joseph said that he explained an angel Moroni, he may have really just experienced that in his perception. Um, it's 
was not merely a delusion or a dream or a vision in his mind, but something real in his experience was, was communicating to him something very deeply. And that made Joseph Smith take this very seriously. Um, Joseph followed where this vision took him and where his consciousness led him to go. And these visions led him to the, the Hill Cumorah, to a place where he had a vision and that there were gold plates. They were, and they were buried there. And the story of an ancient civilization, which is now called the Book of Mormon. There, there is really no record of what Moroni actually said. Uh, Joseph, you know, he did have a reputation of saying things like, the Lord commanded me not to reveal anymore, or there are so many things that God said unto me, which I cannot write at this time. You know, and Joseph Smith bragged about being able to keep secrets, you know, till doomsday. You know, the whole religion is, is littered with these secrets and covenants and, you know, things that we can't explain or expound upon. Hmm. So what about life on other planets? Um, I think it's in the Book of Moses, part uh, of the Pearl of Great Price, where it is said that God resides near a star called Kolob and inhabits a human body. Uh, Moroni was supposedly once uh, Captain Moroni, a warrior who died in a battle with the Nephites. So one of one of the four groups of uh, people said to have uh, lived in ancient America. So um, now he is called an angel, but like God, does he too have a body? And does he travel to and from Kolob where God lives? And also, what can you tell us about Kolob the planet or Kolob the star? And in what constellation do you find it? And how far is it from Earth? I know there's a lot of questions you have to answer there. <laughs> well, I'll go first. Take your time. <laughs> it, you know, according to the Book of Mormon, uh, Book of Mormon uh, Moroni was the son of Mormon. Um, there was a Captain Moroni also. Um, but I believe Moroni, uh, Angel Moroni was, was actually the son of Mormon. And the prophet, and Mormon was the prophet which the Book of Mormon was named after. Um, and before Mormon's death, he passed these golden plates to his son, Moroni. And Moroni then was finished writing on these plates and concluded the record and presumably burying them in the Hill Cumorah in Western New York. Um, in the 130th, in the 130th chapter of the Doctrine and Covenants, to answer another question, your second question, um, it, it says in verse 22 that this is a revelation that was given to Joseph Smith. That the father has a body of, of flesh and bones and is tangible as man's, and the son also. But the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of the spirit. And that was what Joseph Smith you know, wrote down in the Doctrine and Covenants, and he had received that from Jesus Christ. You know, Mormons also believe that man was made in the image of God, the father. And so, yes, the angel Moroni, also described as a messenger or a personage, is believed to have a body after the manner of God. I guess uh, I guess I'll handle the sticky the sticky part of the question about life on other planets and and Kolob. Uh, You're welcome. There, yeah, <laughs> there are uh, canonical sources for some of this stuff, and then there are some theories that are put forward by leaders and members of the church. So let's start with the canon. Uh, the Book of Abraham say, says that Kolob is a star quote nearest unto the throne of God. Um, so is it a planet or a star? Good question. The book of Abraham calls it a star, but then it also calls other planet stars. So I don't think there's actually an official answer for whether it's a, a planet or a star. 
another canonical source for extraterrestrial life is actually the book of Doctrine and Covenants. And it actually says about Jesus that, uh, quote, by him and through him and of him, the world's are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters of God. Um, and then kind of the last canonical source, it's not as easy to find, but uh, it would be during the temple ceremonies. Um, talking about the, the creation of earth, God references worlds uh, heretofore created. Um, and then there's another part of the temple ceremony where Lucifer tells God, as he's trying to bring about the fall, that he is quote, doing that which has been done on other worlds, giving some of the fruit of that tree to them, meaning Adam and Eve. So where is Kolob and how far is it from earth? I think the only thing LDS, uh, the only thing from LDS scripture that we know is that it is nearest God's throne and that time is measured differently there. Uh, again, the book of Abraham says that one day on Kolob is the same as a thousand years on earth. Smith also made uh, translations of some of the hieroglyphs that came with the mummies that that suggest that all of the divine energy and light in the galaxy originates in Kolob. So a lot of people theorize that Kolob is in the very center of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, unofficial sources, unofficial Mormon sources say all kinds of things. It says they say that, you know, the Earth was created near Kolob and then moved later to its current position. Uh, some say that the, that Kolob is actually the star Polaris or Sagittarius A, or even Sirius, which is the, the brightest star to obs our observation here on earth. Uh, a little fun fact about Kolob is that the creator of Battlestar Galactica, uh, Glenn Larson was a Mormon and based the mother world Kobol, the birthplace of humanity in his universe on Kolob. Huh? Yeah. Um, I, I guess, well, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, he he just uh, transposed the the letters B and L. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Battlestar Galactica is actually all about the ancient astronaut uh, theory. Uh, when Ryan first told me about Kolob on one of our many um, conversations, uh, it didn't click until I I saw the new series and and thought, hey, Cobol, that that's the the planet Ryan was telling me about. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, now, here's what I want to elaborate on, Mike. Um, as, as you mentioned, a Kolob is referred to as a star in the book of Abraham, but it incorporates planets uh, as also being stars. Now, like you said, one day on Kolob is a thousand years on Earth, which tells me that it is more likely describing a planet than a star since a day on a planet is based on its rotation while orbiting a star. Also, it's it's hard to uh, conceptualize something living on a star, um, but not so on a planet. So we find this analogy in Second Peter three verse eight when the the apostle says that a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. Uh, a few episodes ago, Joe and I discussed how the planet Nibiru has a thirty six hundred year orbit around our sun. And one year to the Anunnaki, the, the beings on that planet, um, is 3,600 years for Earth. I think there's a connection here with regards to there being 365 days in an Earth year and the 3,600-year orbit somehow. And we also mentioned that in a Jewish mystic from uh, around 2,000 years ago, a rabbi Gamaliel claimed that the journey to where God is in the universe would take 3,500 years. Now, this is 
uh, close to the 3,600-year orbit of Nibiru, the throne of God, Anu, and uh, which is the Anunnaki god, is, is, I believe, on this planet called Nibiru, which is also proto-Sumerian uh, cuneiform scripts. In, in Isaiah 6, 1 to 3, the prophet says that Yahweh is seated on the high and lofty throne. But in Psalms 93, 2, we read that the place of Yahweh is somewhere called Olam. Thy throne is established forever from Olam art thou. Now, these verses about Olam um, make it seem like a place, not something abstract. Olam is indeed a term for world in Hebrew. So uh, we have four sources claiming a place to where God resides, like a home. Christianity, heaven, the Judaic mysticism, Olam, um, Sumerian mythology, Nibiru, and Mormonism, Kolam. Um, as with the gods of each, um, we believe that they are one and the same. So too are the planets of which they reside and come from. So if Mormons believe that God is an extraterrestrial uh, being who lives on another planet or world, how is that depicted in their minds? It, it doesn't fit Christian theology at all, as God is supposed to transcend the material universe and can't possibly be confined to a planet, aside from the idea of Olam, unless he is incarnate like Jesus. So how do they reconcile such a discrepancy with what is accepted as the very substance of God? Like, uh, does he travel as an alien travels, which would be in like a spacecraft? Or is it through teleportation? And Moroni seems to appear and disappear like a spirit. Poof, he's gone. Um, now, why would God not also be thought of as a spirit to the Latter-day Saints? Well, you know, throughout history, heavenly messengers have traveled through time and space to relate the, you know, the will of Heavenly Father or God to you know, his children or, you know, their creations. But through not always, though not always described as like extraterrestrial, Mormons believe that beings live in the presence of their Heavenly Father um, somewhere beyond Earth, you know, near Kola. You know, they receive dreams, visions, prayers, promptings, and these are the ways Mormons believe to receive guidance from a Heavenly Father. And on occasion, too, Heavenly Messengers have been sent to communicate God's will, but mainly to, like, prophets. Um, these visitations are often mentioned in the scriptures, such as when Abraham was saved from being sacrificed on the altar, or when angels saved Daniel in the lion's den, and when angels appeared to the shepherds to announce birth of Christ. And when Moroni, you know, directed Joseph Smith to find the gold plates and so on. You know, in our, in our mortal existence, we not, might be able to travel to worlds beyond our solar system, but other beings and other phases of existence are probably not so limited. Mormons don't believe that visitors use rocket ships. You know, uh, when Moroni returned to heaven after one of his visits, Joseph Smith saw, as it were, a conduit open right up into heaven. And he ascended till he entirely disappeared. Yeah, you know, Ryan really kind of sums up the LDS view right there. Uh, whenever I thought about this kind of thing, uh, the explanations always seemed to me more like they were, uh, you know, teleporting or some sort of teleportation than than arriving in spacecraft to me. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I, I'm glad you guys mentioned uh, a teleportation because it, it goes against the nature of God as ever present 
he must travel like us in a vessel through space and time or or else through some kind of portal or some kind of quantum jump. Uh, in the Old Testament, Yahweh travels in a cloud and descends upon a mountaintop. And we also read in Matthew chapter 17, uh, the first 13 verses about the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus where they see his countenance change and they see him speaking to Moses and Elijah. Now, this makes me think of the, the transporter in Star Trek. Uh, you remember how they would energize and then beam up or beam down. Their bodies would like metamorphosize into uh, those twinkly tw uh, shafts of light. Um, was that what was happening here? Uh, was was Jesus being beamed up and then beamed down again, along with you know Moses and Elijah, who were who were then beamed back up where uh, you know, while Jesus remained uh, on Earth? Um, uh, don't forget that Josephus, a Jewish historian, mentioned that there was a comet that circled the Earth for a whole year, sometime during the first century A.D. Now, could this comet uh, really have been an alien spacecraft, maybe? Yeah, and you know, you have to wonder what is meant by, you know, countenance changed. Um, this is a strange thing to say. They, they didn't transform or shapeshift into something. Uh, the, the scripture says they look different, and it's odd that in, in many of these, you know, in, in these angelic encounters, um, they're always depicted as wearing clothes, uh, albeit uh, brilliant white robes, but clothes nonetheless. And they're, they're human-like. It's, it's strange that spiritual beings would be seen like this, you know, as people being dressed. Uh, like you said, Lori, it makes you think of them as being energized, similarly to Star Trek with the, the transporter on the ship. Yeah, I think they, uh, they appear as human-like because it's their true form, the, the ones in whose image we are made, right? Uh, Joseph Smith witnessed Moroni in the same way. He ascended back up uh, to heaven where, where an opening of some kind uh, it takes them out of their sight, like uh, I think it was Leader Mike or Ryan had stated earlier. So this is what happened to Jesus in his ascension in, in uh, Acts uh, ch uh, chapter 1, where he is, the, he, he is then taken up out of the sight of, of the disciples, and a cloud hides him from their view. Um, the two men in white tell all of them that uh, he will return in the same way you have seen him go. So whether it's a cloud or portal, I believe it's something technological, which our ancestors just could not comprehend, and therefore uh, they had to describe it as something spiritual. It's all very interesting. Uh, so much in terms of astral imagery that many people don't uh, know are part of the Latter-day Saint religion, nor is the parent roots in ancient alien theory. And, you know, talking about Co-op, the star, the planet, it makes me think of that uh, old uh, Walt Disney cartoon at the Peter Pan uh, cartoon where he says, you know, uh, Neverland is the second star to the right, straight on till morning. That's <laughs> talking about the, the stars made me think of that. The second star to the right, straight on till morning. Made me think of uh, that cartoon when my kids would watch that when they were really little. Um, yeah, I think you found Kolob right there. I think that is yes, the Neverland. Kolob, that's it. <laughs> Neverland with Kolob. Uh, this is what you guys were talking about. I was like, yeah, the second star to the right, straight on till morning. How about that? So uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, so please join us again next week as we continue to explore the cosmological, mystical, as well as extraterrestrial aspects of Mormonism.
Yeah, that's right. Uh, so next week, uh, Ryan and Mike will be with us again to elaborate more on their knowledge of the LDS religion and describe their their own unique experiences with the alien question that pertain to their faith. So be sure to tune in for uh, at the sa- that day for the same time on Sunday, August the 8th, for part two of Mormonism and its extraterrestrial connection. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and, and give us your questions. Um, <clears throat> uh, sorry, I had something uh, come up in my throat. <laughs> um but yeah um yeah just give us your questions and uh as well as any of your comments about the show uh ryan mike thanks for being here guys uh really enjoyed having you guys on um and we look forward to uh, more stimulating discussions for for next week thank you I, i enjoyed your questions very much i look forward to next week too yeah thanks a lot for having me this has been a lot of fun yeah, it was great having you guys on today. You gave us some fascinating insight and providing us with a, a store of information to help expand our knowledge about a religious belief system that is sort of shrouded in mystery, even to this day. So until next time, uh, stay safe, stay peaceful, and as always, stay curious. So long, everyone. Bye, everyone, and thanks again for joining us.